0: Good to be back again. Uh, Turn with me to Genesis chapter 45 uh, as we continue our look at um, the life of Joseph. And I just a big thank you to Brother Alan uh, who shared a wonderful message last week. We we're encouraged by that. We watched it on the, in the car. Sorry, I didn't watch it. I was driving. <laughs> um, I could hear Alan in the back while Miriam was uh, watching. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was a wonderful message. So thank you very much for that. And it was a, a good time of fellowship. In Sydney, always good to spend time with the brethren, especially during wonderful occasions like birthdays. I I like birthdays, okay, so it's all right. Genesis chapter 45, we'll read verses 1 to 5. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom he sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me thither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll commit this time to him. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this precious word that we have learnt from about you and about who you are, about what you have done. We pray, Lord, that you would once again open our eyes open up our understanding, grant us your grace and wisdom that we might see wonderful things about you that we might live according to your word. We thank you for this time, this place and for these people here, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, some of you know that when we went to Sydney, Miriam and Alicia drove up first, okay, and I flew. And you might say, well, that's not very nice. Why did you go by plane and they went by car? Well, it was their choice, first of all, it wasn't mine. I had a wedding on that day in the city. And so, um, because they wanted to be on time for the actual birthday there, and it was a possibility that I was not going to be on time for the birthday, they decided to drive up there, and I organized a, a plane flight, which I barely made by the skin of my teeth, by the, by the grace of God. We made it at the door, at the departure lounge, as they were boarding the plane. So it was an interesting, uh, interesting uh, time, but um, God got me to Sydney. They were They got there safely, which was a huge praise when I found that out. And then what happened when I got to Sydney? When I arrived at Sydney Airport, they were already at the church. They were already at MacArthur. Now, MacArthur's south of Sydney. And so the question was well, how do I get then from the airport to, to the church? And so Miriam did some inquiries over there in Sydney, and the, you know, you could take Uber, a taxi, or whatever it was, but it would have been quite an expensive exercise to do that. So the advice was from the fellow who the motel we were staying at that the train was the best way to go. Now, when I hear train, um, I'm not a train person normally, okay? I'm normally a car person. So, I sort of said, oh, really? Uh, okay, all right, we'll take the train. So, but it was a good experience, okay? There were no crazy people in the train. It was quite a nice, um, quite a nice experience and it got me there fairly quickly. And what struck me, well... Well, I want to share with you that, that particular train ride and the plane uh, flight is because while they were driving up to Sydney, they were together. And I know these two, they would have been talking all the way up, <laughs> right? While I was on the plane and in a train, I had no conversations. People around me didn't want to talk. The train was, there was only about seven people or eight people in that particular carriage. People weren't even looking at each other. And so there's, there's a time when you can be with people in the same place but not be with them. And there's a time you can be um, separated but still be together in a sense, if you understand what I'm saying. In that train, I was together with my wife more than I was with the people around me. And the reason was, is because I was on the phone telling my wife, I've arrived at this station now. And my wife was saying, oh good, you've got another 15 minutes to go. And so we were, because she had to come and pick me up from the station, you see. So we were trying to coordinate ourselves as to where she was going to pick me up. And so through that train uh, ride, I was with my wife. I was with her, we were talking together, we were conversing together, we were discussing different things, even on that, on that level. Um, but the people who were literally sitting just around me, I wasn't with them. So once again, you can be together with people but not be with them, but you can, your heart can still be with someone else who's not even sitting next to you or with you. That's one of the good thing about church. The Bible tells us that church is like a family who are brought together by God, who, who God then knits hearts together who then become a family. So um, a local church, and people often put down the local church, is one of the most precious and most important things on this planet because we represent as a body, a local body of believers, God's family. And so it's important that we, our hearts are knit together. Now, granted, you know there are different people in the family. Every child is different that is born. And sometimes you don't always see eye to eye, but you love each other. You always love each other. And there's no, there should never be any lack of love. You see, Joseph and his brothers had been separated for around 20 years. He was around 17 years of age when they essentially betrayed him and, and caused him to be sold off to Egypt. He was separated for around 20 years, and now they were together but even the times when they were together, they weren't really together, were they? Until it got to this point. Because their heart wasn't knit with his. They didn't even know who he was. They didn't recognise him. Um, he knew who they were, but he didn't behave like the brother that he was to them. But now we find in this particular chapter, in verse uh, chapter 45, we find something dramatically changes. We find he starts crying. He can't maintain the facade anymore, and he breaks down in front of them. And these these guys are wondering what is going on here. The, the, this ruler of Egypt is now crying in front of us, and now all of a sudden he says stuff like, "I'm Joseph, your brother," and they can't believe it. It says there they can't even answer. They can't even answer him. And so all of a sudden, the, the 20 years of alienation, the 20 years of being apart, the 20 years of having to carry for them um, the, the guilt of what they did to their brother, and the 20 years that he had to carry why his brothers would do that to him, now all of a sudden was going to break down in front of them. And the love that they were supposed to have, which they didn't have at the beginning, if you remember. Do you remember? He was he was the favourite of his father. And his brothers didn't like him. They didn't have a good relationship with him. While they were out always together, he was by himself. And so now what's going to happen is that even through this pain, through these circumstances, God was actually organising their reconciliation together. God was going, was orchestrating their forgiveness. And the love that they're going to have for each other now is better than the love that they ever had for each other before. God does amazing things. When we consider the way God works in our lives, if we submit ourselves to Him, God can do amazing things. He can turn people's hearts in a moment. So never, ever give up on your earthly family. Never, ever give up praying for them, hoping for them being an example to them, loving them. Because you may think that person is never going to come to the Lord, but you may be surprised that sometimes a person who you think will never come to the Lord will be the one that comes. So don't ever give up on your family and understand that when God reconciles people together and it's his work in this particular case, it's something that will endure. And this is the story of us and God. You see, the story of the reconciliation between Joseph and his his brothers after all that time is a story of us separated from God for so long. And God came and paid the price and he he paid the the price through his son to, to win us back to himself. And so we see in Joseph a picture of Jesus. Last time I also wanted to encourage you to remember that any suffering that we endure, and Joseph endured a great deal of suffering, but in the end, he found out that it was all planned, that it was all for a purpose. And so when he looks back on all the pain, he sees, yes, I can see it now. I can understand it. But oftentimes when you're in the middle of the pain, when you're going through difficult circumstances, you can't see the end from the beginning. Only God can. And so that's where faith comes into it. Because you may be going through difficult times in your life but part of faith is believing that God loves you. Part of faith is believing in his character, that it doesn't change and that what he does in your life or allows to happen in your life are ultimately for good. The Bible tells us that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. So the only thing we are called to do is to love him. Just love him and put our trust and continue to trust him because God has something precious that he wants in you and that's faith. And faith grows over time. And faith only really comes out and faith is only ever properly revealed with fire, with suffering. Because it's only through testing that it actually comes out to the fall. With no testing, with no heat, you can't purify any metal. So you can't, if you want to try and purify silver, you're not going to be doing, You're not. it's not going to work by just leaving it there or polishing it or doing whatever. You have to apply heat. You have to melt it. The same thing with gold. Now, that's not a, a pleasant experience to go through heat, is it? But ultimately, what the heat does, it takes away the dross. It takes away the impurities and it reveals the purity of something. And so, when we go through difficult times in our lives, remember God is allowing that thing, either because of a bad thing we did, but even in the bad decisions that we make, God can actually bring something good out of it. So, remember your mistakes, your sins do not define your path tomorrow. God has His arms wrapped around you. Okay? Learn from your sins, learn from your errors. But trust God for today and tomorrow because he never stops loving us. And his ultimate aim is to purify faith within us because that's precious to God. Okay, so let's continue with the story of Joseph and his brethren. In verse six, it says, for these two years, and he's speaking to his brothers here again, for these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So just to recap quickly, if you recall, the prophecy or the dream that was had revealed that there will be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. The seven years of plenty had already come and gone, and so the, the uh, Joseph, through the wisdom that God had given him, had been able to create these storehouses to put all the surplus wheat in those things so they would give them supply during the famine. Two years had passed of the famine which didn't just affect Egypt, but affected also Canaan, where Jacob and his family were. And so they ended up coming to Egypt to try and buy grain because they would heard that Egypt had grain, so they could make bread. Otherwise, they were going to run out themselves. And so we have here a situation where um, you, we know that the, the, the maximum time that Joseph was now interacting with his brothers was two years, but probably less than one. So we probably got roughly about a year's time, but they were coming back and forth to Egypt. Okay? But during that time, Joseph remained incognito. He remained a mystery to them. And the brothers were naturally fearful when they discovered, you know, that it was Joseph who was in front of them. Because you know, when you're when you're a guilty person and you realise you're guilty, and then that, that, that thing confronts you to your face, all of a sudden you don't know what to do. It becomes a bit of a scary thing. And they, they were looking at their brother, who they had betrayed 20 years before, standing in front of them. Their own brother was now standing right in front of them, but Joseph said to them, Don't fear, it wasn't you who sent me here, it was ultimately God. Who sent me here. And he did it for a purpose. And it was to preserve a posterity of our family on the earth. Otherwise we would die. God did it. God brought me to this place so he could protect our family. He could he could provide for our family. And so the posterity here means that there was going to be a continuation of the people of Israel. Or the family of Jacob in the world. And so we see the working of the hand of God in the affairs of men and in even in their bad decisions. God can take people's bad decisions and even turn them to good. We see that. We've seen in previous sermons, I've mentioned this before, how this is a picture of Christ and, and the, the story of Joseph is not just a picture of Christ but it becomes almost Prophetic. Okay, It becomes like a prophecy about certain aspects concerning the people of God, the Jews. And I'm specifically speaking about them here now. For we know that the Jews to this day have, in the main, rejected Christ as their Messiah. And they are still waiting for him. They're still waiting for a Messiah. So while we're here celebrating our Messiah, our Savior, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they are still waiting for that man to come. And it will ultimately be a great deception for them when the Antichrist comes and presents himself as that. That will be a great temptation and test for them. But they're still waiting to this day for their promised king. But God knew that already, didn't He? He knew he was, He knew that they were going to reject His Son as their king and he by his purposes was able to create something good even out of that. See I'm drawing a comparison between the brothers of Joseph rejecting and betraying him and Jesus' own people rejecting and betraying him. And the good that came out of Joseph's brother's bad decision is almost lined up with the bad decision that the Jews have made in rejecting their Messiah. Then you might think, Brother uh, Pastor Frank, that doesn't make sense. How you know how can good come out of something that bad? Well, you and I are here because of that bad decision. I want you to think about that for a moment. God is able to achieve good even through bad, and this is the worst. Let me give you some examples. When the day of Pentecost came, okay, so Christ has Christ has been rejected by his people, crucified by the Romans, put into a tomb, and has risen again. Okay? And the Holy Spirit has descended from heaven upon the apostles and those believers who are waiting in that upper room. And they start speaking in different languages. Languages they've never learned before. Okay? And they get up on that rooftop, and Peter. And the apostles start preaching to everyone that's there. And as as it happens, there are thousands and thousands of people that have come from all different countries in the world okay, to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. And they're there and they see these guys, Galileans. Galileans. It's a bit like, you know, I don't know, people from Ballarat, right? All of a sudden getting up on the rooftop and saying, you recognise them, the way they're dressed. These people are from Ballarat, right? <laughs> I love people from Ballarat. But the point is, they weren't. These people weren't educated. You know, if if they heard them, sp- if people heard them from Jerusalem, heard them speaking, they'd pick up the slang. You know what I mean? These are these are not highly educated people. They're up on a rooftop preaching, and they're preaching in all different languages. If I'm Italian, they he- I hear. Hang on a sec. He's preaching in Italian. The other one's preaching in Greek. The other, the other one's preaching in a different language. And they're all, they're all different languages. And we're, while we're there and we've come from different parts of the world, we go, what's going on here? These are Galileans. What are they doing preaching in my language? How, do they, how did he learn my language? But he preached something very important. Turn to Acts chapter 2 with me for a moment. Acts chapter 2. And I'll give you just a portion of what he said, what he preached to his brethren, the Jews who were there. Acts chapter 2 verse 22 says, Ye men of Israel... Okay, so who's he speaking to? He's speaking to men who were Jews, okay? Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders... And signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So what's the message he's got to 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 his fellow Jews? this guy this man who was only doing who was doing miracles he was sent by God you have betrayed and allowed to be murdered but God has raised him up from the dead. Is that something you'd probably want to hear? Probably not but God knew that they would reject him. you see it says here that Christ was delivered, By the determinant, counsel, and foreknowledge of God. Did God know they were going to reject him? Of course he did. He knew that they were going to reject him, yet he still went into that thing. He still sent his son, because the purpose was that they would reject him. And through that rejection, he would be crucified for the entire world, for the sins of the world. God knew. But God achieved something good from people's evil. Turn forward to Acts 3 13. Peter here once again is preaching in the temple on Solomon's portico, and he declares once again to the Jews that are listening around him. Acts chapter 3, verse 13. He says, The God of Abraham and I of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus. Look at this, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So Pilate was ready to let him go, and you made sure that he was crucified as a criminal. Verse 14, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. How's that for a, for a bad decision? And killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. They say they had healed someone whom ye see and know ye. The faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. God had already prophesied it would happen, that they would reject him. How was Jesus going to be crucified if his people didn't reject him? The path was set. They simply did what they were always going to do. They chose a murderer over the over an innocent man. They pushed for him to be killed. They rejected him as their king. And ultimately, they made sure that he was taken out of the way. But God had planned for that thing already. God knew already what was going to happen. And by a wicked thing, by an evil decision, by evil choices, God achieves something amazing. There could be no greater sin from what I can see than for the Son of God to be murdered as a criminal and a heretic. I don't know, can you think of any greater sin than that? Um, I can't to take the the ruler of the universe the son of god the pure the just the holy one take him and actually crucify him as a as a criminal i can't think of any greater crime in the history of mankind yet god took the greatest most heinous crime and he did something amazing with it turn forward to chapter 7 with me in acts stephen was seized for being a christian for being a believer Paul was in that crowd. The apostle Paul was there during this time. And he gave this rebuking speech, this, this wonderful, this wonderful, uh, this wonderful uh, speech to his people once again, who were judging him for being a believer. And he ended with these words. I'll just read the last few. So Acts chapter 7, 51 and 52. Look at the way that Stephen. Speaks to his own people. He says, Ye stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. In Acts 7:51, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, and so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, whom, of whom ye have now. Ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Uh, they're not words you use if you're trying to placate someone or make them feel you know, good about themselves. He's called them downright betrayers and murderers of their own Messiah. Um, the results of those words were the stoning of Stephen. And the Apostle Paul was there. Okay, he was there giving consent for the whole thing. And so even in that bad bad decision Stephen says you are the betrayers and murderers. God has done something wonderful. You see the John chapter 1 has these words in it it says he was in john chapter 1 verse 10 and 11 it says he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not so the world did not recognize him but what is harder to grasp what is harder to accept is the fact in verse 11 it says he came unto his own and his own received him not who's he speaking about he's speaking about his own people the people that were meant to recognize him, the people that had the Word of God, the people that should have known better, that should have been prepared and seen the signs, they should have easily worked out. here, this guy's born in Bethlehem. Oh, okay. Well, it says there you're supposed to be born in Bethlehem. What lineage is he of? Oh, his lineage of King David. Oh, through which? Oh, both father and, and Joseph, both the the mother and Joseph. There were so many things they could have they could have worked out, but they didn't want him. They didn't want him they were too uncomfortable with him but one very important thing we learn from the scriptures is that the evil men do whether it's the fall in the garden with adam and eve whether it's the betrayal of joseph by his own brothers whether it's the killing of the prophets throughout all of the bible in the old testament whether it's the rejection and crucifixion of the lord of glory god knows it beforehand and he's already worked out the plan and brings out something beautiful from it. You see, even though Adam and Eve fell, the grace of God is revealed. The love of God is revealed. He could have just finished this off and said, "Not nope, forget it. I'm not going to have any more people anymore. I'm going to destroy, destroy this thing. I'll stay with the angels. But even they fell, right? Through the evil of men, And the evil of fallen angels, the grace, the power, and the love of God are revealed. In the presence of darkness, the power of light becomes evident. In the darkness of evil, true love is revealed. In the darkness of the unknown, God's wonderful purposes and plans are manifest. God's love was most revealed, was most manifest. In the death of his own son. Have you thought about that? That most, the, the, the reason we can sit here and rejoice and, and depend on the love of God and say, his love for me will not change, is because he sent his only son to that cross. God's love was most revealed by sending his only son into a sinful world to save sinners like us. The purpose of God in allowing Joseph to be sold into slavery was to save his people. Yeah, the very ones who sold him in the first place. We serve a very merciful and gracious God. We we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning. We who live in the middle of that often get confused, often get sidetracked, often forget that he doesn't change. He's always in control. He always knows what's best, and he always loves perfectly. The Bible tells us that he is love. And so even the rejection of Jesus by his own people there was a purpose in that, and a revelation in that as well. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11 for a moment. We read that this morning as part of our as part of our um Bible reading, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Because the temptation for us, being believers, having, having received salvation and received this mercy from God, is to look at other people and the Jews and say, oh, look at them. They've rejected him as somehow that we are now somehow better than them. And there's a warning in that for us, that we should never ever lift ourselves up above anyone else. Because we aren't better than anyone else. We aren't better than the Jews. We aren't better in any way. We simply received something that we didn't deserve. So in verse 25 of Romans 11, he says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. You see there is a purpose in what has happened. And the fact that we are here as Gentiles, I don't know if there's any Jews in here, the fact that we are all Gentiles in here tells us that there is still blindness upon the Jews. But even in their blindness, God has created and opened the door for something wonderful, which is the gospel going forth to the entire world. God's judgment finishes with The depth, verse 33, Oh, the depth and riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. His judgments are unsearchable. We can't understand them. We might see the benefit of them. We We might understand them in a superficial sort of way, but God's judgments are unsearchable and his ways are way past us finding out. What we simply hold on to are the truths about God that we know don't change. Because he doesn't change. We have obtained mercy because of their unbelief, believe it or not. The door to the Gentiles was fully opened because they rejected Christ and God knew ahead of time that they would. God can turn the greatest evil to the greatest good, and we are evidence of that this morning. So don't ever be proud. Don't ever allow your mind to take you to a place where you think or I think that we are better than anyone else because we are not. We are not. We are sinners saved by grace and we depend on and need the grace of God every day of our lives. There is not a day that goes by that we do not need the grace of God. We are never beyond it. The moment we think we are, we are beyond the need of the grace of God is the moment we need it the most. Because it means we become proud and arrogant. So now we're going to see this picture of Joseph and how confident he is in the plan of God now. See, he's, the, the light bulb's gone on for Joseph too. He's now seen it. He's realized it, that God was in it the whole time, all through the time that he was in prison, through the time he's at Potiphar's house, through the time that, that, that all the stuff that he went through, he's realizing, ah, God was in all of that. Now I see the plan. Now I know what I have to do. We need to learn from that, that we should trust God each step of the way, every day of our lives. And in trusting God and allowing God to be God, you and I can live lives of greater peace, joy, and contentment. Now we're going to look at the confidence and trust of Joseph. Go back to Genesis 45, verse 9. He now knows what to do. He knows God's plan and is going to give instructions to his brothers about what they have to do now. In verse 9 it says, Haste ye, which hurry up and go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, which is in Egypt, and thou shalt be near unto me thou and thy children and thy children's children and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast and there will i nourish thee for yet there are five years of famine lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty and behold your eyes see and the eyes of my brother benjamin that is that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you and ye shall tell my father and all my of all my glory in egypt and of all that, that ye have seen, and ye shall haste and bring down my, fa- my father hither. They recognize their brother now. He was talking to them in their own language. He was talking to them in Hebrew. And they, And they realized, it is Joseph. He knows everything about us. And he says to them, hurry up, get back to dad. Tell him about what you've seen. Tell him how I'm here. Tell him how I'm Lord of all of Egypt. I want you to take everything you have. I want you to all come back here so I can look after everyone. Good son. I want you to all come back. Tell dad that you need to bring everyone back here. I'm going to make sure that you live in the best part of uh, of Egypt and I'm going to make sure that you're being looked after. Joseph knew what was going on now. He had the full picture. He knew what his responsibility was. It's wonderful when you see the work and the hand of God in your life. It's a wonderful thing. Um, and you, and then you get to a point where you say, now I know what I have to do. I'm if you've ever been in that, that position where God lines up all these circumstances in front of you and all of a sudden you realise and the light bulb goes on and you go, oh, that's what he wants. That's why he's been doing that. That's why I've gone through this. Now I understand. It's a beautiful thing to see God's hand working in your life. I'm sure many of you have been in this position before. It's just that when you don't see all the ducks lined up, it's before the ducks all line up that we get a little bit concerned because we don't see the bigger picture and that's where faith comes into it. That's where faith comes into our lives each and every day. That we simply do what God tells us to do. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. If God doesn't tell you to divert and go left or right, where do you go? You just keep on going straight. Because God will make that clear for you. Because if you're obedient, then God will continue to open the doors for you that you need to have open. But stay faithful and obey. And so from a prophetic point of view... God has already given us all the circumstances that will occur in the future as well. We have it written for us. We see during the time of tribulation, we know what's going to happen right at the end. We've been going through this series with the young adults. It's been an absolute blessing to, to study those things and to, and to share them. But we know that there are seven years of tribulation that are coming upon the earth. And there were seven years of famine in Egypt, if you ever wondered how they might be linked together. Because God has this uncanny ability to be able to repeat things throughout the Bible and one becomes a picture of, of another. You see, so there are seven years of famine that will come upon this earth. And there will be a famine of the word of God. There will be a famine of belief and faith. The world will go into absolute darkness and there will be very little Uh, of what we experience today around. A time when the Lord will bring his people, the Jews, back in once again. When they will turn to him and they will believe unlike now. One day in the future, during the seven years of famine that will fall upon this world, God will say to the church, come home. I'm now going to start again with these guys and they're going to turn to him for salvation once again. And it says, if you look at what Joseph does with his family, he says to them, I want you to come down now. I'm going to look after you and give you all the provision you need for the next five years. Uh, The Bible tells us that for them, during those seven years, they will suffer amazing persecution. The world will be in absolute darkness. But God will prepare a place for them to look after them. Turn to Revelation 12, 13. Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. There will be a place of refuge for God's people. And from the persecution of the one the Bible calls the wicked. Revelation 12, 13. It tells us there, And when the dragon, that's the devil, saw that he was cast unto the earth, He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. The woman who brought forth the man-child is Israel. Okay. Why is he persecuting the woman at the end now? Well, it's because she's turned back to the Lord. And she is now a thorn in his side. He's always hated the woman. He's always hated Israel. He's always tried to destroy God's people throughout various times in history. But look at verse 14, it says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. So God protects, God provides for and nourishes his people in a time of absolute persecution and famine in the world. So we see God's people turn around there and it becomes this picture of Joseph bringing his family into Goshen. He says, I'm going to look after you for these next five years. I'm going to take care of you. I want you to be near me. It becomes a picture of that. So go, going back to chapter Genesis 45, 14, it says, And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck moreover he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them and after that his brethren talked with him that's <laughs> a good time of crying isn't it you know i don't I'm not sure if you're, if you're a crier if you're a who, who likes to have a good cry every now and then see all the women put their hands up but none of the men do <laughs> knew that already it's okay to have a cry you know there are times when Your heart's broken, or something so beautiful happens that you have to cry. I mean, I love it. I love to have a good cry when something really good happens. I'm not sure why. As I'm getting older, I'm crying more. (laughs) But God does so many wonderful things, and it should move us. We should be moved. Now, God's uh, Joseph's brethren, they've been apart for 20 years they'd carried all that guilt around with them for so long he and and they didn't know how he was going to respond he could have had them all killed but yet here they have their brother and he starts crying in front of them and he's hugging them he's kissing benjamin and he's kissing them as well and if you were his brothers you'd say thank you lord for your mercy we should be crying too the things of The stories of forgiveness and reconciliation here with these brothers who were alienated from each other and then crying and and hugging each other after all this should move us. Reconciliation is a beautiful thing. And if you've been born again this morning, if you know the love of God, it means you've been reconciled to him. And you should know that. It should move you. Because the the greatest reconciliation you and I have experienced is our reconciliation with our Father. That we've been adopted. We were outcasts. We were rejected. We were dirty, dirty things that God saw as dirty. But yet he looked at us and said, Oh, I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to now look after you. That's what being born again means. Being born again is actually entering and being reconciled to God and entering into that relationship that you didn't have before. And it's a beautiful thing. If you have that this morning, then I encourage you to keep crying. Be moved by it. Don't be resistant to it because these things should move us. These things should remind us of our own relationship with our father and our savior it should be an emotional thing when we speak when we speak about and think about the love that god has toward us it should drive us to live for him to never be parted again do you think that joseph's brothers after all that time and after experiencing that forgiveness thought to themselves how are we going to betray him again no no that would have been the furthest thing from their mind. In fact, they would have said, I'm never going to betray him again. I'm never going to do what I did before. And that should be the way we should be thinking. That if there was anything that that stood between us and God before, whatever that was or whatever it may be now, our mind should be saying, no, why I want anything between my God and me. I'm going to put that to the side. That thing's disgusting. That thing is not right. That thing is against what he would want. There should be nothing that comes between us and our Saviour. If you value the relationship you have with God, then throw away all the stuff that you know he doesn't want and do it immediately. Genesis 45, 16 then says, And the fame thereof, obviously they were screaming pretty loudly, they were crying very loudly in, in, in Pharaoh's house, was heard in Pharaoh's house. Saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. This is not a bad Pharaoh. This is not a. This is a good Pharaoh here. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye: lay your beasts and go, get you unto the land of Canaan. So he was. He said the same thing. And take your father and your households and come unto me, and I will give you. I. He says, I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye. Take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. How's that? Pharaoh loves Joseph so much. He has so much respect for Joseph that when he finds out that this is his family, he says, just bring them all here, mate. Bring them all here to Egypt and we'll look after them. We'll give them the best of what we've got. If um, but if you are in Christ this morning, you're loved by the Heavenly Father for His sake. Do you understand that? If you are in Christ... You've been brought in for him. The Bible says that if you are in him, then you are we are loved because of him. And so just like Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, Oh, they're your family. Oh, come on, bring them in. I'm gonna look after them. God does for us. Did you know that? God loves us because of Jesus. Because Jesus has brought us in. He's identified himself with us. We have become his brethren. And he says to God the Father, these these are with me, Dad. And God the Father says, bring them in. Because of you. Because I love you so much. They're with you and I'm going to love them too. So God is able to move even the hearts of heathens to do his will and to be a blessing to them. And God can do this in your life too. Just remain humble before him. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, Bind them about thy neck, and write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favour and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead not on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Let truth and mercy be bound around our necks. Always treat people with the truth and with mercy. And the Bible says that we'll find good favour with God and man and trust him in everything you do and he'll direct your paths. Joseph did this in Egypt. He is the wonderful example of this type of life where he only spoke the truth, where he always showed mercy and we always humbled himself and trusted his life to God. And God was now fulfilling all things through him. Genesis 45, 21 now says, And the children of Israel did so, so they obeyed. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. To all them he gave gave each man changes of raiment, that's new clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. Still his little brother. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed and said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor of all the land of Egypt. And Joseph and Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. Now, as we see, Joseph blessed his brothers, and especially Benjamin, but he sends them back, and he says, Go back to Dad, and... Because of the blessings of Pharaoh, he's able to send them, it says, 10 asses, 10 donkeys, essentially, loaded with the good things of Egypt. And then another 10 she-asses, or she-donkeys, loaded with bread and food and grain. And he gives them this instruction, and he says, don't see that you fall not out of the way. Stick to the track stay on course don't leave this track don't get diverted bring the evidence of my existence to my dad so he knows that I'm really alive and so Joseph here becomes once again a picture of Christ you see these fellows had seen Joseph for themselves everyone thought he was dead And now all of a sudden they've seen him alive. And now they're going to have to go back to their dad and say, he's alive. And his dad naturally is going to say, what are you talking about? I can't believe that. And so he he sends with them ten asses loaded with good things. Things to say, look at what we brought from Egypt. Look at these things. Have a look at them. These are the riches of Egypt that have been sent to us. And so his brothers become a witness of Joseph to bring back to their family to say he's alive, to bring back good news and to show them evidence of their encounter. And so like the 12 apostles... Were witnesses of Christ and his resurrection to the world. Joseph's brothers were witnesses that Joseph was alive to their family. The ten houses loaded up with good things are a bit like the law of God. You've heard those things called the Ten Commandments, don't you? Where you bring where those things are brought and they become evidence of our failure they're beautiful things the bible tells us that the law of the lord is perfect converting the soul it's perfect there are plenty of wonderful things spoken about the law it's a beautiful thing why is it a beautiful thing because it opens up your eyes when when jacob didn't believe we're going to see now when he saw the, the evidence of those things that they brought from egypt he realized it is true when we've been called to share the good news of Jesus Christ with this world, don't forget the law. Because it's the breaking of the law that required the Son of God to die on that cross. If a person does not understand that they're a sinner before God, if their eyes are not opened to that truth, they will not grasp and take hold of him. Because it's a bit like going to someone and saying, you've got cancer. They're showing no evidence, Right? You're, you're, it's a bit like, saying, bit like saying going to someone I'm, oh you're a bad person what does that mean but if you show them where the Bible says I am the Lord thy God thou shalt have no other gods before me ah okay thou shalt not look to lust after, after a woman thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not lie thou shalt not steal Thou shalt honour thy mother and father. Thou shalt honour. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath. When you look at those things, every person becomes guilty before God. The Ten Commandments are a nice, simple way to show a person where they're actually at. And we've been called to bring the good news that Jesus Christ is alive to this world. And they're going to say, "So, well, I don't know about that. Prove it to me." And so we come to them not just with ten asses loaded with good things that reveal uh, the truth about that person's life, but also ten, ass, ten she asses loaded up with all the food and, and supplies. And so not only uh, do we become do we become uh, uh, messengers of God about the Son of God to the world. With the law, and we bring this law, and the Bible says the law needs to be used lawfully. Law, the, the law was never designed to bring a person to God. The law was never designed to be fulfilled, to actually uh, help a person get to God. It was not, never designed for that. Every religion in the world says, the, says that. It teaches that. It says that if you keep enough of the law and your good outweighs your bad, then God's going to let you in, right? That is an absolute lie. The law was designed to show us simply that we are sinners and we need God. We need Him. And that's why we have a Savior and they don't. They're all trying to work their way to heaven. Doesn't matter which religion you want, you want to add in there, and all and some of the cults and everything as well, they all do the same thing. They're all saying, work hard enough, obey hard enough, put as much effort, give more money, and eventually God's going to get you to heaven, and eventually you'll get to heaven. That's not true. The law was designed to reveal that we are sinners. And in being revealed a sinner, if my eyes are opened up to that, I say, well, what what can I do? What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy household. Mm -hmm. That's the simplicity of it. That's what we've been called to. And you may wonder, what about the other ten she asses loaded up with all those wonderful things? Well, let them see the blessings that God has given you in your life. You're loaded. We got so much stuff. We have so much. We should have so much peace and joy and grace and everything that we need. That when they look at us, they should say, "These people are rich. I wish I had what they had. I don't have the peace that they have. I don't have this joy that they have. I don't. Well, why are they so happy all the time?" What is it with these people? They should see the fulfilment that we have in Christ. Yet some of us live as if as if we're uh, we're under the condemnation of God at the same time. Let them see the law and let them see your blessings that God has given you. If you're saved this morning, if you're saved this morning, you've been entrusted with a special message. Deliver that message. Don't go out of the way. Okay. Stay on the path. Stick to it, like Joseph told his brothers. Stick to it. Get this message to Dad. Get this message to your families, your friends, and whoever else it may be, that Jesus Christ is alive. And He's given you everything you need. And give it to them. Don't be discouraged if they don't believe because their own father didn't believe them at the beginning. But once they showed Him the evidence, once they showed Him the the ten asses and the ten she asses, when they saw the blessings and the conviction, look what happens in verse twenty-seven and twenty-eight. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he has said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. If our message is true, if we stay on path, if we reveal the message and we share the gospel with people in the world, then the greatest thing that we will ever experience is for someone to say or to see Jesus before they die. It's our goal. Let's get this message to them. God bless you.